you know how we tend to get some quite random things in our inboxes, probably from well-meaning PRs, but rather misguided PRs. Well, the latest one, have yeah. you seen this? Did you notice? No, no, okay. I sort of ignore them because they're so <laughs> silly, some of them. <laughs> this one stood out. Shall I tell you why? Yeah. Because it's the National Smell and Odour Complaints Report. Now, we are, we are back to your highly sensitive situation, <laughs> person situation. Exactly. Every smell is a problem well, for you. Go on, well, why exactly. is this one That's probably why it grabbed my now. attention. So this press release reveals Britain's smelliest locations for business and domestic complaints. Do we think our midlife <laughs> listeners are going to be interested in this? Who, who lives in <laughs> Britain's smelliest city? Tell well, me. Anybody uh, in South Yorkshire, I'm telling you, you've got oh, a problem dear. because Barnsley and Sheffield were in the top five along with Gateshead, Hounslow and Birmingham. Hounslow sounds so, isn't it? Well, yes, I know. I'm just telling you Barnsley and Sheffield were in South Yorkshire and then these are the other ones. I'm just checking your <laughs> just checking geography. The geography. You anyway. I got a B in my geography. Yes. Does anybody care is the question. Maybe the listeners could let us know and then we can tell these PRs. Well, why. also, what Nobody cares. to do with that yeah, information? Now we know. know some cities are smelly and some aren't. What? Where do I go with that? <laughs> Who do I? Do I bring it up at dinner? Shall I tell the famous people? I know. Do I put it on my Instagram? I mean, what's the point? Well, I suppose we have just spent three minutes talking about it. So there we go. That's the point, yeah. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Trish Halpin. And I'm Lorraine Candy. And we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Trish and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teens. Well, hello, everyone. Can I start this week's episode by saying bravo to you all for being curious, empathetic and open minded individuals? What are you talking about now, Trish? Whose arse are you blowing smoke up? Where are we going with this? No, there is some science behind it, don't worry. Because what I'm saying is that there's a recent study which has revealed that podcast listeners are likely to be more curious, more open to experience and less neurotic than non-podcast listeners. And we're all in a parasocial relationship, apparently. So it is a parasocial relationship where we feel like we're friends, even though we haven't met and we don't know each other and no one's bought anyone a drink. Exactly. Bingo. That's exactly it. And um, apparently, if if you're listening on headphones rather than speakers, you can feel even more like you're having an intimate relationship with whoever you're listening to, which is us effectively, isn't it? But unlike social media, podcasts don't leave listeners, apparently, with negative emotions. And in fact, there's an association between neuroticism if that's the right way of saying it, and using social media. So I think you need to be warned because you're a bit of an Instagram queen, aren't you? I just like an audience, Trish, <laughs> and I'll take it in any form I can get it. And I think the neuroticism may have started long before yes. social media. Um, yes. I wonder you, if they've done you any... posting your breakfast on Instagram. Exactly. No, I've never posted my breakfast. No. I draw the line. Okay. I draw the line at breakfast. Fair enough. <laughs> um, I wonder if they've done any studies of Facebook groups because our members on our Facebook group mm. are very kind and funny and supportive as well, aren't they? Should we give some shout outs to some of them? Oh, I think we favorites? should. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we should because we've had a, a few really unusual ones but good ones I loved Sonia she posted a picture of her 80 year old I'm saying it again 80 year old aunt 
skydiving and zip wiring in Hawaii. How amazing I mean, is that? That is some fantastic. We had a similar one with Lucianne posting a picture of her 75 year old mother, Carol, doing a 10K run. Um, and Lucy, Lucy says Carol took up running age 60 and hasn't stopped since, despite a hip replacement operation last year. And she says, I'm so proud to be her daughter um, and hoping I continue to get better with age, just like her, but I'm nowhere near as fit. And then another member, Claire, added to this thread that she was in a swimming competition recently and one of her competitors was 85. Well, you, your knees don't need to um, work in a swimming course. I you mean, hips, though, you definitely need some hips. I would say, gosh, any woman who running over 40 um, mm. has got to have kind of rubber knees, as it were. Yes, yeah, so swimming is the reason I took it up is it can go on forever and ever and mm. ever. It's literally because it's not weight bearing. It's mm-hmm. a sport you can do forever. I'm mm, very I pleased like that. to hear that. But of course, despite all this jolliness and friendliness, that's not to say that we're all gliding through life with a big old smile on our faces, because we do all have our troubles too. And we're going to be tackling some of those today as we once again turn agony aunts with our advice for some midlife dilemmas later on in the show. I think I gave birth most of the things that are causing me trouble, Trish. (laughs) at this stage of life there's a genetic link oh my goodness me and our guest this week is no stranger to the ups and downs of life I'm so excited to have her on the show because she's been an icon I would say for our generation Mm. ever since she came onto our screens as a four-year-old in the bird's eye pee-popping advert it's none other than singer actor model Patsy Kensit I know, isn't she fabulous? Because that advert is, is a, it's a nostalgia noodle, yes. isn't it, in itself, one we haven't covered so far. Would you would you like me to sing the song? I don't want you to do singing, and I don't want you to speak in French, because I think okay. both of it is slightly upsetting for people. Okay, can I do the pee-popping sound? Do you remember the... Okay. <laughs> Your wolf whistle. You're one no, of those I women can't. that can whistle no, with I your can't. hands in your mouth, aren't you? I no? can do pee popping though. You do put it again. Your index on. finger inside your cheek, and then you pop. That's quite a good, good one, isn't it? That's what I we think, were all doing um, back in the seventies after watching that advert. I can't do any of those sounds. I don't know what's wrong with me. It's because you haven't tried. Go on, try. <laughs> Nothing. You need to pop your lips. Put your finger in. You I don't like putting my fingers in my. All right then, fair enough. Come on. God knows where they've been. I just want to apologise now for that whacking sound. Uh, <laughs> one of our neighbours, two doors down. I'm going to say he because it's it's really quite furious making. It's building something with a really large hammer by the sound of it. So um, I'm going to hear it. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> listeners. Sorry. Some popping over it. No. Pop, pop. no. Okay. Shall Shall we just get on with the show? Oh, just get on with it. Yes. Today's guest is one of the most iconic names of the 1980s and the 1990s, a singer, actor and model. Patsy Kensett has been part of the fabric of the Gen X story since she starred in Absolute Beginners with David Bowie in 1986. While we were all prepping for our O-levels and CSEs, Patsy was partying in Soho with Madness Wham and Spandau Ballet. She even formed a band with her brother, Eighth Wonder, which had two top 40 hits. Patsy has had one of the longest careers in film and TV, starting at the age of four when she appeared in a Bird's Eye Peas commercial. She has starred alongside Mia Farrow, Robert Redford, Joan Collins, Roger Moore and Elizabeth Taylor, with whom she struck up a friendship. Her most recent TV credits include Emmerdale, Holby City, McDonald and Hobbs and Strictly Come Dancing. And more than seven million people watch Patsy's Who Do You Think You Are, exploring her family heritage. 
Patsy, now 54, was one of the first celebrities of this generation to talk openly about her traumatic experience of menopause following a hysterectomy almost a decade ago. Today, we'll be chatting about Patsy's career, her future plans, and how she's coping now that both her sons, James, 29, and Lennon, 22, have flown the nest. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Patsy. Hello, how are you? Very well. Now, it's lovely to have you here on the show. We first met, didn't we, in, I think it was 2019, and you wrote a piece for me in Sunday Times Style about your menopause, just before people were talking about the menopause and perimenopause, and it was quite traumatic for you, um, but you wanted to get that message across to other women. Tell us what you went through. Well, I'd been going for my sort of yearly checkup with the gynecologists, and uh, everything was always okay, and I went to have a smear test on and everything and, and a little ultrasound and uh, my gynecologist said to me there's a oh it's a massive cyst here he used the word massive and I was like yeah. what and he said oh can't you feel it and often at the end of the day I would feel that the right side of my my stomach would get a tiny bit bloated he said you have to go and give blood immediately my mother died of cancer yeah. she was diagnosed as terminal when I was four and she lived till I was 22 mm-hmm. I knew the rigmarole he said get you have to get your, the bloods taken immediately and then I remember walking down Wimpole Street just in floods of tears and just saying please please god please I will never take anything in vain again please my kids gave the bloods went home and then at 11 o'clock at night I got a call from the gynecologist and said you're in tomorrow you need to have um, this cyst removed um, we think it's benign, but it's a complex tumour, is what they're called. So I went in and I had it, had it removed. They didn't touch my ovaries or anything. Um, then about three months later, I had a, had a checkup because obviously we'd just done the operation three months prior. And there were two more cysts, literally one the size of a football and one that was attached to my bowel oh. that had grown and, and from nothing. And so... I uh, basically said, you know, what are my options? And they said, well, we can remove them and, you know, remove part of your ovaries. Or do you want to have any more children? Uh, I've been blessed with (laughs) such great boys and Mm -hmm. and I've loved being a mother. You know, the factory's closed. And and it literally is now because (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, I had a hysterectomy, which was, I woke up in intensive care and there was a girl of 30 in the next sort of pod that you're in, she'd had, a, had to have a hysterectomy too, and she had cancer. I remember her, her mother crying about it, and I was, it was just a dark time. So I waited for the results to come back, and all the cysts were benign. You know, you don't need to see a gynecologist anymore, and off you go. There was no, okay, so now your hormones yeah. are going to You're go. in menopause. Yeah, you know? I, I was in full on menopause. How I mean, old were you? I was, uh, it's, so it's 2013. So right, um, yeah, okay. math. And yeah. It, mm. See, I wasn't even perimenopausal before no. this. I woke up in intensive care and I, I didn't know what was I doing? Why was I here? Um, I've always prided myself on having a really great memory because I've had to learn scripts my whole life and it's like a muscle that yeah. in your brain and couldn't re- remember a conversation we'd be talking now and I would say suddenly say what, what are we talking about again mm-hmm. yeah. I, it was just brain fog anyway 
I went to see a hormone therapist and I got the HRT patch and it was not great. Um, it wasn't really working for me. Uh, I was, you know, having to give all this blood and they couldn't get it right. And I don't think with HRT, one size fits all. No, it doesn't. No, we're all different. And what I found out is that there are ways of, of managing this specifically to your needs. So anyway, I had a book coming out at this time. And the night before going on this morning, I um, I had to see that my hormone guy and he said listen we've got this amazing thing it's an implant and we're just going to eat little nick and put it in your backside and uh you're going to feel so much better now hindsight's such a great thing right yes (laughs) um but I thought well it doesn't matter that I'm doing this big book thing now for the next 10 days and I should really just stick with what I know but yes give it to me it's gonna if it could make me feel better Anyway, I had the worst reaction. I barely slept. I got to this morning studios and the girl does my hair and makeup. What's the matter with you? I was shaking. And really, I should have just said, listen, I'm not well. I need, mm. to, I need to leave. Yeah. But soldiered on. I sat down on the, uh, the couch with Phil and Holly and completely blanked. Didn't know why mm. I was there. And I said, I'm really sorry, but I'm, um, I've just had a hysterectomy and um, I'm suffering from the menopause. So, and of course, and that was out of the gate promoting the book. <laughs> not ideal. It's not ideal. <laughs> not much, in, again, in hindsight, not much help really. People didn't talk about it. it was no. I had to go and defend myself, but I'm a lucid individual. I mean, by the end of the day, actually, it was a lovely journalist from the Telegraph came in and gave me this big hug and said, I know exactly what you feel like. And, but mm-hmm. nobody would talk about it. It's mm-hmm. like a dirty word. So anyway, now, of course, it's, it's the tsunami. Um, yes. And of course, I just, I'm so glad because if I'd known how I was going to feel afterwards, um, I, I would obviously have just done so much more research and I didn't mm-hmm. like an idiot. Finally, to get myself well, I found um, this lady and she came back to me to, I don't know how you have been coping. I'd stopped driving my car. I've always driven because I didn't feel confident behind the wheel. I thought I had dementia. Yeah. I went to Waitrose. I went, got it in there. And I thought, why am I here? And I bought, there's a true story, a cabbage and a pair of American tan tights, mm-hmm. which none, you know, none eaten or worn. <laughs> worn. They sorted it out. Um, it was a shame that, to be shamed over something yeah. like that. And of course, it wouldn't happen now. It was very hard. And you had to carry on working throughout this time. Obviously, you talk about your promotion, but but you've you've always worked, haven't you? You've been working since since the age of, of four. And I think that, you know, during this period of our lives, quite often we're right in the middle of big jobs, the pressure, the families, all of that kind of thing. I mean, if you were to to do it all again, what would you do differently? What advice would you have for women? I would say if you're going to going in to have a hysterectomy, immediately you have to please do your research on the symptoms you you are going to feel immediately this mm-hmm. is not going to come gently if you don't have to have a hysterectomy your perimenopausal I just just I mean Mariella Frostrup's written this great book cracking the menopause mm-hmm. and you know Lorraine you were so supportive towards me about mm-hmm. what happened I'm of an age where you don't really kind of ask doctors much and that sounds really like pre-war mm-hmm. 1940s but I just kind of I think I was in such a shock yeah it's quite a big thing to go through but I mean 
At the same time, though, with the tumours, you're 54 now. So your mum died when she was 53. And actually, Nigella Lawson wrote a piece for me about this when you outlive your parents. Okay. It's quite, it does happen to a lot of women in this midlife. How, how do you feel about it? And how do you deal with those feelings? Because you, you must be thinking about your mum a lot at the moment, I guess. Well, all the time when I said goodbye to her at least 11 times before the age of 12, she was diagnosed in the 70s. And you know, it's nothing like what well, yeah. yeah that we have today and she defied all the diagnosis she fought and she fought and she fought because she loved so much and my dad was in and out of prison you know I went to a convent but I was an Mm. actress and I in my mind thought I can if I work then I'm going to be able to make my mum well because I'll be able to buy her her health I mean a futile crusade of innocence Mm -hmm. but I think that what what happened for me was I was aware of my mortality incredibly young and I think Mm -hmm. once you grasp the the concept that we're not going to be here forever your childhood kind of fades a little bit yeah I I faced it my my whole life and I'm not and I'm I'm reconciled with it and I miss my mum every day she couldn't have HRT because she had cancer Mm-hmm. She didn't even, I never heard her moan about a hot flush. I mean, she, she did, she was an angel. Nothing mm-hmm. wasn't talked about. And she never said to me, I mean, periods were, were you know, I knew about them. We'd, my mum had talked about yeah. those. But uh, I think that the change, as you know, it's called sometimes, is such a, the correct word for the menopause because it's like, it's like grown up puberty. You know, yes. like, yeah. because everything is changing and it's all hormone based, mm-hmm. which is why, you know, as teenagers, we're unbearable. And then, you know, you come back, you have your own kids and then they're unbearable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, with, without sort of getting heavy, it was just it, it was a childhood full of anxiety. And I mean, I, I miss my mum every day of my mm-hmm. life, but I have, I have to carry on and be a good mum mm-hmm. to my sons. And like, like me, Pat, you, I think you became a mother after your mum had gone. So my yes. mum my died just shortly before I had my twins. And I found that very conflicting because that not having her there, but being blessed with these two, you know, little babies. And how, how did you find parenting? I mean, you've talked already that you love being a mother and you've got these two wonderful boys. And how have you found it? Because they're in their 20s now. They're in their 20s, they're grown up. I missed my mum even more. I, mean, I had James a year before she died. Oh, so okay. she saw me with my child. Yes. And I remember that she w- was over one day with my aunt and I was changing James on his changing mat. And my mum saying to my, my aunt, my God, it's like watching a child look after a child because I was oh, you know I was 20 you were young yeah just coming up for 22 none mm-hmm. of my girlfriends had had babies mm-hmm. I mean and that's that you're screwed then as well because no one understands the sleep mm-hmm. deprivation and why am I feeling yes. slightly blue when this is the most magnificent time of my life mm-hmm. and and all, all these things just weren't discussed and I'm, I'm and I'm so sorry for my boys that they didn't have her mm-hmm. in their lives because she was amazing and I could never in a, any way go as close as she was to being the most perfect person mm-hmm. I miss all the time how were the teenage years with the boys because teenagers are just that I mean menopause is a shock becoming an adult is a shock <laughs> mothering yeah. teenagers is a real shock yeah I mean you you had partners and people in and out of your life but you you primarily done it on your own haven't yeah. you you've no. really been you know the one solid single constant person in the boys lives that's quite a lot to do <laughs> You know, day and night alone, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, the teenage years are a minefield. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's literally, I remember my 
eldest son's 12th birthday, he went up the stairs in his petty beto pajamas <laughs> and smelling of butterflies. And then he came down the next morning at 13, smelling of pizza, whatever. <laughs> it was like the Harry Enfield sketch that he was mm-hmm. doing. Yeah. He was just, it was, it was just that. And I was like, but, uh, but why you used to, you used to say you wanted to marry me when you were four and whatever. And he's like, eh, don't say that. I mean, it's a weird thing to say, but of course. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so I, I had to deal with, with that. And I think that what I, the best lesson I can, I think I learned was you don't always have to have the last word. Mm-hmm. And that helped a yeah. lot um, with my youngest son. Who is <laughs> just? I mean, they—they they, they were good boys, and they—you know—I they, always knew where they were, and they, I'm very proud of them. I remember my mum saying to me at 14, I was storming up the stairs in our council house, and and she said, "I don't know what's happened to you," and I thought. What's she talking about? I'm exactly the same. You know, <laughs> clearly I wasn't. And I remember that a lot with the, with, with the boys. Mm-hmm. But the good news is they come back. Oh, well, that's they what even, I was going to ask yeah, you. They move mine, back even. Oh, they do. Because mine yeah, are both going. Over there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Mine are both going in September. And I'm really, I had a calm phase. And now I'm going into it. Oh, my God, they, they're going to be gone and going to be properly empty nest. I mean, that yeah. must be, it's quite an unusual feeling to be on your own after all this noise and chaos and everything after, you know, many years. How did you cope with that? Terribly. Yeah, I mean, it's really I was, sad. I've got friends who kids are going off to university in America and, you know, and, or doing this and that. I mean, I, I was sobbing at the, at the station. My son went to Italy to learn Italian because his mm-hmm. dad's got a hotel there. Sobbing at, uh, <laughs> as he got on the Gatwick Express. And, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, yeah. I think it's a bigger shock than anyone can possibly imagine. I mean, my eldest left the year before last and I just, I thought I'd sail through it. I thought yeah. I'd drop her at uni and I'd come home. I'd be a bit tearful, but I was grief stricken for weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I just kept counting the hours till she texted me, rang me, or, or came back. I couldn't go into the bedroom. I couldn't go into the bedroom. It was too upsetting. I mean, it's they do come. They they do come back emotionally and physically. I, mean, yeah. I realised that so it's a nice problem to have. They want to come back to their mum. So, oh, so but they, but they they their their careers are flourishing and they they do mm-hmm. have their own places. So. Mm-hmm. So you must look back on your career because it was it's quite an iconic career for our generation. I mean, there isn't a Gen X British woman who doesn't know who Patsy Kensit um, is. And you were in London in the 90s. It was a kind of cool, crazy time. What do you think when you look back on that? There were so many great things. And I only wish what I've learned in my 40s and 50s is to stop caring what other people think of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very, very conscious of uh, what people would write or, I mean, thank God we didn't have those, um, you know, the, the tabloid magazines at the, mm. in the supermarket because I used to have to do the shopping and keep my head that way so I, could, I wouldn't see, you know, fatsy patsy and mm-hmm. me stuffing a cake down the face <laughs> <swinging> down the <laughs> road. Um, Did you have fun in the WAG club? The WAG club was great and I was very young I was 14 15 when I went there my brother got me in and <laughs> it was like walking into top of the pops you know it was, yeah. every one in the top 10 was it was in this club so you know I would 
my, me and my best friend at school, Selena, would lie to our parents who were at each other's house and we'd go to the WAG. And then <laughs> I think the 90s, I think it was a great time. I had a few very late nights. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you keep the clothes? Have you got like this magnificent wardrobe of fabulous 90s stuff? I got a lot in storage. It was a fun time, but also just happened. It it doesn't, I mean, I know it it might define me in certain people's minds, but I had a lot of growing up to do and I I needed bereavement counselling, which I never never offered when my Mm mum died. I don't know now how, you know, how that works. The media got an image of me as this quite sort of fragile emotional person because mm-hmm. there were photographers outside the house all the time I was diluted completely or my career which had up until that point flourished and I've, I've continued working I've had an mm. amazing career mm-hmm. but I, I was never written about in these, these sort of magazines or, or, or papers before and it affected me and I wish mm-hmm. I hadn't have cared so much mm-hmm. so I'm glad that isn't happening now to me mm-hmm. um, I love my life now yes it was fun doing the Vanity Fair cover was and I hate to crush people's dreams but it was just a photo shoot that we just <laughs> pushed in to do yeah. everyone wants to know oh my god was it was it a party dj was everyone like you know no, no actually actually not at all um, it sounds like it could have been a really tough time did you have good people around you did you have good friends do you have people looking out for you i have two friends that uh, my best girlfriends and that i've that have been that way for 23 years mm-hmm. so they were there i lost a lot of friends mm-hmm. because i think people didn't really understand me in that kind of in in the mix with all that all of that and I think they didn't know that it was I was enjoying it but I look back and and it was fun and I shouldn't have been embarrassed about things that was done or said or taken it too too seriously and move forward and looking back it was great but um, there are more great things Um, Mm -hmm. I I feel the joy of walking out of my apartment and going on the Jubilee line mm-hmm. into town just to do a voiceover or to go and have lunch with one of the boys. It's wonderful. I could never have done that mm-hmm. 20 odd years ago. It, was, it just wasn't the case. There, there were people there all the time. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine how much harder it is now because it, there's so many and it's, and it's also yeah. reality-based where there seems to be no line of a kind of dignity that mm-hmm. people will stop at the world has changed and it changes mm-hmm. every day and what keeps you sort of sane now because you've slowed down a bit and you've said yeah. that you say no to things that you don't want to do anymore you don't have to work at that manic pace anymore how do you manage your life from a kind of mental point of view and a wellness point of view now what keeps you happy and grounded well I mean I did a bit of a Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys you know he certainly went to bed for seven years <laughs> 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 after I um, after I left Holby, uh, which is a wonderful show to be on, I was mm-hmm. on it for four and a half, five years. It it was hard work, it, you know. Yeah. You, and uh, I I literally, <laughs> I literally, I, I went to bed for about a month. I would say functioning and washing and stuff, but I was just so tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you couldn't believe it. And then I went straight in and did Strictly. Mental health now, thank God, people are talking about it. I have days I'm so sad. I don't know why. And I don't want to, you know, leave the flat. But I force myself, you know, to go get out and go for a walk. And obviously when I'm working, it's, that's, it, there's nothing yeah. else to think about than the job. But I can understand how people can 
become very, I can isolate. And thankfully, I, you know, I've got two sons that were living with me at the time and very, are very caring. There's three of us. That's the trinity, our family, and we're very, very close. Mm-hmm. You do a bit of running, don't you? I've seen you do a bit of running, Patsy. I do. That's do my... That's the bastard get, hill, as you call it. Bastard hill is such a bastard. <laughs> I nearly said the C word when I was doing it, actually, because it's, it's at the end of my run. This is the perfect day. I go to bed really early. <laughs> 8.45. Good for you. Wow. Yeah, I wake up at quarter to six, mm-hmm. and I have my workout gear next to my bed. Get up. I say, thank you for today. Thank the universe and everything, all the blessings. And I put on my running stuff and I get out the door. On the days I don't do that, I don't feel as good as, for instance, I I ran today. Believe you me, it's the first 10 minutes are hard. But you do go over the bump and it's suddenly, you feel quite good. Mm-hmm. But let's be real. It's 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 a drag. I, I, I wish I could eat cake or <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. um. I and I hit the snooze button. It sounds like fifties are, are turning into a really good decade for you. So you're feeling really positive about life going forwards. I'm very lucky because I've been able to work. I worked mm-hmm. a lot through the pandemic. A movie I was going straight on to that got that got pushed and then I started to feel okay this this is going to be quiet for a while but I did I, I made a movie in the, two summers ago two movies last year that's a blessing one of them's a, an American film a big release which I'm very excited about and mm-hmm. they I currently have two scripts sitting here with conflicting dates but two lovely parts and parts that are right for me you know I I love matriarch Mm. I I need to make a living I have to work Mm. I have to pay bills I can't sit and eat cake all day as much as I want to and listen to (laughs) the voice We need to talk about love because you've been married four times haven't you Patsy um you did call yourself a hopeless romantic yeah what are you still a hopeless romantic when I don't get brain fog like I have done on this podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, it and happens this... to us all. Join the club. We're all in this together. Don't worry. Does it happen to you, really? Oh, People God. Oh, yeah. Just... Not, not as much, but it yeah. still happens. Yeah. Better now on HRT, I yeah. can remember stuff. But before, I couldn't remember which side of the road I had to drive on. It was I, just, <laughs> I had to come back in and ask the my kids so I can't I just can't work it out left mm. or right and they just think you're a moron anyway but that yeah, was before HRT basically. and I'm the same I thought I had dementia so I was kind yeah. of yeah but no thank you thank you for that because it's it's so so nice that we're you know we're women are uniting mm-hmm. and, yeah. and supporting but back to love I'm a hopeless romantic I can't change the rules of the law and I consider my first husband who was lovely and my last husband they were such short periods of time and Mm -hmm. I was with Jim and um, Len's dad uh, for years so Mm -hmm. I kind of count them as my two marriages I know that's not allowed because (laughs) I know know there was a ceremony do what you like Patsy exactly but I feel that those those were the really significant relationships Mm. and very very deep and wonderful in so many ways but like I said I I look back and just think why bloody hell did I give a toss about this you know it was funny and that's been really liberating actually Mm-hmm. The, you know being 54 yeah 60, 60 was always my scary age but mm-hmm. it's not now I think 60s I'm going to be even more alive and please god I, I make it there 
and be there for my kids to watch live and, and yeah. laugh. And it's, being single doesn't phase you at all, having been in a lot of relationships. Well, when I married all my boyfriends, mm. so, <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that you know was something that I, again I've learned I need to do. But, you know, I date, and it's just really nice to be yeah. be private. Mm-hmm. I really cherish it because there were many years when I couldn't do anything. Like I said, there's this... oh, hello. <laughs> was my, my, my daughter returning from her A level. Oh. <laughs> she just done one. Well done. Well done, well done Esme. <laughs> just popped in the door. Sorry, Patsy. <laughs> no, don't be silly. Don't be silly. <laughs> but you must get recognised, Patsy. Do people not come up to you? Because you are quite recognisable. I mean, you, you're still very glamorous. <laughs> okay, I look like shit. I've got no makeup on. And I just, <laughs> just at all. I think there's a way you can draw attention to yourself. Yeah, mm. yeah. And I think that's also a way of just knowing the place is not not to yeah. having a, a normal, like a, a peaceful life. I love my my children more than anything. I love the fact that I've been through this really, really traumatic health mm-hmm. issue, and I've come out the other side and I'm so supportive to all uh, you ladies and other women and you're not alone I'm still working in my 50s it's it couldn't be better filming does mean standing in a cold wet field uh, with wet feet um eating a half cooked sausage from the kitchen <laughs> catering <laughs> I, I hate barbecues because it reminds me of being on location oh. it's like <laughs> <laughs> like barbecues at all so that's all that comes into my head when I think right well, I'm going back to work okay yeah wet feet being cold half oh, but you, you love it you but still love acting, it you do the acting for free and they pay you for all the other stuff <laughs> yeah that's why you get paid well thank you very much Patsy for coming on the show it's so lovely to see you at last mm-hmm. it's so lovely to see Bowie I mean he's the great love of your life isn't he now he's my man yeah I'm, I'm a cat lady and I'm proud of it <laughs> He lies in my arms at oh. night, literally, and puts his head on the pillow. I mean, there's a oh. pretty man. <laughs> not gonna let them Good be. for you. <laughs> but but um, listen, I'm so honoured that you asked me to speak. I'm so honoured that I could do that piece for you. Um, I apologise about the brain farts. Oh. Uh, it just, <laughs> just, just goes to show it's, you know, I, hormone gate is happening uh, straight away after I get off this. And I wish you so much success. And I'd love to come back anytime if you want yes. to anything. Oh, we do um, want you with us, Patsy. I, I would love to come um, and, I, you know, uh, and get, give you as much time as you want. Thank, Thank you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Thank you. 
this week's How to Win at Midlife is our Once a Season Agony Aunt special, where we both act out our Kathy and Claire fantasies. The dilemmas are, of course, anonymous, but I like to make up names on a theme. And this week, in honour of the Queen's Jubilee, um, they will all be based on the name Elizabeth. Do you like oh, that idea? I see. I like, like it. Idea? I like a royal theme. Trish. Yes. I like a royal theme. So I'm sure her madge would approve as mm-hmm. well. Um, shall we start with Betty then? Yes. <laughs> Betty. Betty says, my husband came home from a night at the pub with an old friend and told me that his friend had told him how unhappy he was in his marriage, that his wife was always stressed and angry and seemed generally unhappy all the time. They don't usually talk about such personal matters, so my husband was surprised and said he just listened and didn't offer any advice. The problem is his wife is one of my best friends and I don't know what to do about it. I wouldn't dream of telling her and breaking my husband's confidence, but I feel I should try and help somehow. Auntie Trish, what should we do? Well, I would say there are two strands to this. Um, Firstly, what to do with your friend? And secondly, did her husband do the right thing by telling her? Actually, I'm going to start with the husband. I would say bravo to the husband for listening to his friend and not offering advice, because quite often the common mistakes we make as friends is that we try and jump in with advice. And really what the person just wants to do is be listened to and comforted. Um, And, you know, that's what friends do best. And we're not trained counsellors but should he have told his wife I think not because now she feels the burden of knowing this secret about something very intimate in her friend's marriage but I suppose he wanted to offload didn't he (laughs) because he was probably quite surprised by the whole thing yeah exactly but back to the question what should she do well I think any suggestion that her friend might know about this conversation would feel, I think, like a huge betrayal of trust for the friend. Uh, So that would be between the friend and her husband and the friend and our listener. So I think she cannot know what has happened here. And I think the only thing to do is to try and spend some time with this friend and check in with her, have a coffee, go for a drink and try to have kind of fun friends evening, but no fishing and no leading into a conversation about this. Because if, if it is a problem from her end and she wants to talk about it again, that's great, but just listen and try to be comforting and I would say don't report back to your husband because you don't want it to kind of just escalate and become something bigger bigger because do you know what this guy might have just been having a bad day and had a row or something and it's perfectly normal to be unhappy in a relationship from time to time but ultimately if your friend really does need help I think suggest a counsellor or contacting relate what say you well I'm in the either or camp either stay completely out of it do nothing yeah leave or face it all up <laughs> oh god really would you just I just think maybe uh no I think I my instinct personally would be to not get involved because yeah. things ebb and flow don't they it's like when mm-hmm. your kids come home and say so and so has been awful to me and I and I hate her and I never want to speak to her again and then obviously she comes around for a play date the next day and you yeah. think what the hell is <laughs> what was that all about yeah what was that all about yeah, yes I think involved. stay out or or, or get involved either one yeah. I, I think it's quite difficult but yeah. um, it I'm is going good. check in with friend but don't let on what's going yes. on right so next up we have Liz who says I have two children a 17 year old daughter who is very rounded a great conversationalist works hard and has a part-time job my 14 year old son who is quite the athlete running 30 kilometers a week cycling around 100 kilometers kilometers and going on these long distance cycling trips he's a lovely boy but is hopeless at having a conversation on anything outside running and cycling problem is when we have family gatherings everyone oohs and ahs at my son saying isn't he brilliant and if my daughter pipes in and says she would like to do 
one of those long cycle trips, everyone just laughs at her, which I think is so unfair. I don't know what to say to her besides saying she should ignore them and what to say to others when they make these tactless comments. Lorraine, you are a parenting expert. We need your advice. Well, my advice is that relatives should always come with a health warning um, in these situations. I talk to experts about this around exams, actually, because Mm. there is, and it's really common with grandparents, they will compare grades. So they'll say, oh, you did, did you, what did your sister get? What did your brother get? And it's Mm. really dispiriting for the family. They often do this at kind of pivotal moments. So you know, there's going to be a gathering. It's Xmas, it's it's Sunday lunch. Um, So you can distract during those moments um but what the experts advise me to do is to take advanced action and to point this out to the relatives but what you have to think about is are you are your children upset about this really does mm-hmm. it or are they really not bothered or because it's your relatives are you replaying are you upset about it yeah. as the parent yeah. because this is how they were with you when you were little because it's a pattern isn't it and there's a lot of pattern uh, patterns in families and they get replayed when families gather together so you need to check absolutely that your kids are worried about it that is it is it is hurting them rather than just a mild mildly annoying um, and you should say to your relatives in advance I don't like it when you do this mm-hmm. um what you the best way of saying this is to avoid things like saying you always mm-hmm. when you you mm-hmm. the conversation begins with I don't like it when you do this it, it upsets us or it upsets us as a family when they do this could you please try and avoid it so you're not blaming them or putting them in a terrible position around feel awful about what they've done because it might be just completely subconscious what you're actually doing is saying is how it affects you and how it makes you Mm -hmm. feel Um, and obviously if they're closer to you as relatives then they should not want you to feel like that they Mm -hmm. should be in a more receptive mode outside of the actual gathering Um, Mm -hmm. and and also maybe worth explaining that you don't value your children around achievement that grades cycling all of that is not you you value them around their personality and you know being funny and getting on and, and making sure also that your husband or partner or the other caregiver is on the same page when you do this because again they may say oh to be honest I hadn't really noticed it so it's just yeah. self-checking a little bit and then having an open honest conversation but not blaming the relatives no exactly I think it's just that they, they kind of need to understand that you know comparison just leads to poor self-esteem doesn't it it just yeah you do that and I think just if it's happening and you haven't had the conversation before you know it's about there's two things you can do you can either kind of then talk about strengths of the other kid your other child or you can just deflect it completely change the conversation as soon as it starts happening so if you're in the moment and you haven't had a chance to yes pre-warm them I'm quite firm though because we've had it around exams Mm. and I just say we don't talk like that in this family, so yeah. we don't care who, who got what, so please don't do it. Because if you just deflect, it keeps happening. Right. But um, I think, I'm thinking more like deflect. If it suddenly happens, you deflect and then you could have a conversation. Yes, yes, it, you could. But you do time. have to have the conversation, I think. Yeah, um, oh, And definitely. you do have to point yeah. it out. Um, and, yeah. it is, you know, it's not a hard conversation. It can be a soft one as well. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have Lisa. Is that a royal? Is that out of Elizabeth? Elisa okay. Day. Lisa from Elizabeth. Exactly. <laughs> I like this one. Mm -hmm. My husband's snoring is driving me to distraction. I'm finding it hard enough to get a good night's sleep anyway at the moment. And lying next to someone who sounds like a jet ending taking off is the last straw. If I'm not asleep before him, I have to go to the spare room as I know I'll get more and more frustrated and can only poke him in the ribs so many times. Oh, my goodness. This has come up a lot on the Facebook page. I know. It's just one of life's um, 
you know, things, isn't it, really? And I think lots of heads will be nodding at this, including mine, because my husband is a snorer. Um, I have to say, mostly when he's had a few beverages yeah. of the beer Makes kind. it worse. Yeah, it does. Um, so I know that usually Friday or Saturday this is going to be happening, so he gets... You just put a pillow over his face, don't you, Trish, until he stops breathing. <laughs> that could be it. That could be the solution. <laughs> put Margot over his face. That would that would do the same job. But he'll go to, off to the spare room. But if that's not an option because we're away somewhere or if I wake up in the night because of the snoring and I can't rouse him you know because he's in this deep slumber what I do is I have my trusty boots silicone earplugs sort of literally wedged in the side of my mattress so I can just reach for them in the dark because what I don't want to be doing is getting up you know because then you're not going to get wake up if you do all of that it's just really annoying where do you put the earplugs up his nose up his nose could work you know you can tape up their mouths apparently there's tape that, that you're supposed to put on and that's well. that's our kidnap fantasy oh. trish that's a whole different thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly so i just take these earplugs with me yeah. everywhere good idea go, you know because just you know how sensitive i am about everything um but if it's happening more frequently than a weekly yes. day session if we're talking about every night you probably do need to have a conversation with your partner about it about how disturbing this is for you and they they might laugh off and go oh you know and I have to say at this point as well this is women as well women snore it's not just the men and the men the male we do have um, might be a relative in the family it's quite yes, a so yes you told female. me about that yeah. yes mm. through the walls yes it's, it's quite difficult isn't it yeah I feel See, for her she probably have to have a sit down and have a proper chat about this because it is affecting your life and your relationship. And, um, you know, things that can help is lifestyle factors. If they're right. overweight, if they're not doing exercise, that kind of thing, maybe you could gently suggest that you both go on a health kick, et cetera. Um, and smoking and sleeping bills exacerbate snoring. So just be aware of those, but it is worth getting checked out by a doctor. If you make lifestyle changes and it's not making any difference and you're kind of counting, not counting, counting beer yeah. nights um because you know if somebody's feeling sleepy during the day or they're making gasping or choking noises while they're sleeping they may have something called sleep apnea which is serious if it's not treated because it's wow. where your breathing stops so you need to go and see a gp you could be referred for a specialist gum shield devices apparently can help for some people which um again your gp can refer you or you can get that from your dentist and then just a few other helpful suggestions that we've heard bose sleep buds they're these little kind of like you know yes. and what they play lovely sounds you pop them in you pay 180 pounds for them though oh. a lot of people swear by them this is one i didn't know but if your your local hearing aid shop or center there will be yeah. one uh, you may not know about it they can make customized earplugs for you so that's worth checking out so that right. should, should be more helpful and then there's some nice recycled eco-friendly earplugs called happy ears and that costs 22 pounds 50 for a discovery pack where they'll send you different sizes and you can work out which are the best yeah. ones for you so yes what are you thinking Snorling? well I wear a lot of earplugs uh, mm. for swimming so I'm a expert on where you get earplugs yes <laughs> and you Does can get look, them though. do you have snoring uh, I do have my, Mr Candy is a bit of a snorer on the mm. old uh, beer and booze beer mm. nights but I mostly just give him a good old shove and I a think poke. look yes. fury is enough to <laughs> him of it um, but I do think it is re- a really big problem oh it's uh, huge you know within the family we've had it it's quite hard to cure it to be honest mm. mm-hmm. you now you can lose weight and you can change but um I think it really what we're saying here is um 
the spare room is probably the best yes. option um, because you've got to get a bit of sleep, haven't yeah. you? And if but you I don't like have one, it's the sleeping, that the earplugs, isn't it? But yes, it's interesting because it's actually listed on the NHS website about if it's affecting your relationship. Yeah. So they clearly Stressful. take it. They do take it seriously, the medical profession. Right. right. Finally, of course, we have to have Lilibet sharing her problem controversial name oh a bit controversial <laughs> but we're gonna use it right oh, okay this one this one lilibet says i feel really lonely i run my own business and i'm currently struggling with my menopause journey i have friends but they're all busy people they would absolutely be there for me but i hate reaching out as they're dealing with their own stuff my family are there for me but don't really understand the menopause my dad is also dealing with cancer so i'm keen not to burden them my hubby is great but out at work a lot today i worked from home i felt so flawed by exhaustion i fell asleep on the sofa at 11 a.m and woke up again feeling completely unable to move at 1:45. i'm on hrt but changed recently from patches to gel i know things will improve but as mental health week this year was about loneliness i wanted to be brave and share right i think here for this lovely lilibet because we really feel for her don't we trish because i think we've all been in this loneliness place a yeah. little bit during perimenopause so some housekeeping has to be done um around how well you are physically first so iron levels can make you feel absolutely exhausted if you've got a lack of iron in the body we, mm-hmm. we know that from the experts we've spoken to vitamin d all of those things are part of what makes you feel physically very tired so i think you do need to check on that and i think lizelle's website is really mm. good on things like that where you supplements you need to take questions you need to ask yourself so on the kind of more emotional side of it what i would do Lilibet, is i would write down a list of what you're dealing with she's dealing with a lot mm. here mm-hmm. i mean her dad's got cancer her family don't really understand she's mm. going through the menopause write down the list of what you're dealing with and then write very short line about how you feel about that and what your mm-hmm. feelings are in your head because a lot of what she's saying here is quite harsh on herself and I feel yeah. like she needs to soften those feelings um in her head because those feelings become actions we had Julia Samuel the therapist on Mm -hmm. didn't we and they do and they will physically affect your health neurologically that will happen so the feelings that not being soft in your head to yourself will make it harder for you physically Mm -hmm. so once you've written that down all therapists say this writing it down is a way of getting it out and what it does I'm going to swear now Trish because Julia uses this phrase in her book is it shuts up the shitty committee in Mm -hmm. your head telling you you're not being tough enough you failed and we know so many women of our generation have this kind of sense of burnout um, as well so once you've written that down it might it might make it easier for you to be kinder for Lilibet to be kinder to herself now with the loneliness I think you have to be quite proactive about loneliness I think Mm. you have to solve that um, as a problem she has to ask her family for help I'm really pleased that she put this on the Facebook group because I think that is step one she was saying I'm lonely I need help so step two is once that's out saying to her partner and her kids I need a bit of help here I'm I'm lonely and I'm sad and I need you to help me what what are the things that would help what they could do Um, and then I think you need to get out and about I think you do need to maybe find a hobby and something like swimming I'm almost saying outdoor swimming Mm -hmm. it's full of women who find each other and the swimming is often the least important part um, of it there's reading clubs there's craft clubs you know it feels like one of those old cosmo lists self-help lists doesn't it but social interaction is really good for the vagus nerve the nerve that controls kind of all our body really it's really good for you neurologically we are only as good as our social connections and it should be prescribed by the doctor frankly so you have to take that first step I think and you do have to find people you might not like the first lot of people you find you might 
might not fit in, but you will find your tribe somewhere. Yeah. See, I don't think she's actually looking for new friends because she's got no, lots she's of friends got interaction. and family. She just isn't able, as she says, she doesn't feel able to, or know how to ask for help and how to mm. reach out because she thinks she's being a burden. And I, I remember feeling exactly like that mm. at, at the peak of my sort of perimenopause, you know, in my, in my late 40s um, with work and everything. And I think it is, you know, how lovely that she's got all these people in her life who yeah. clearly do love her and she just needs to recognize that and acknowledge that and know that even if you know it's, it's just a question of her telling them how she feels and they listen over a glass of wine or a cup of coffee that's going to make her feel better I think and it's, you're not yeah. a burden Lilibet to anybody no. and also if your dad is going through you know I, I know a lot of people who are have relatives who are suffering with mm. cancer and they're in particularly terrible time you're still allowed to have your own feelings yes, you yes. don't you can't spend your life in a trauma top trumps well that's worse so I'm not allowed to feel yeah. this it doesn't you know it, it isn't healthy to be yeah. like that you are allowed to feel those feelings yes so anybody else like feeling like that reach out is what we're saying yeah so there are some solutions and suggestions for midlife problems. And uh, if the idiom, a problem shared is a problem halved, is true, I think we've courted these problems yes. between us. Is that too much mass for you? It is a bit too much mass. <laughs> Maybe just add in here that we're not qualified therapists. No, we're not. <laughs> yeah, so this is just life advice from... It is. We have interviewed a lot. so that's Yes, we've interviewed a lot and we've experienced a lot. But um, but yes, we, we are here I, to help. I would write to dear Marge. I'd write, dear Marge, my small friend is murdering me with maths dilemmas. <laughs> Well, good, because you're doing nostalgia noodle this week. about maths. It might happen again. Wait and see. Um, <laughs> this is podcasting gold, isn't it? We're going to win an award for this, Trish, aren't we? We have arrived at our MMM section of the show, Midlife Milestones and Magic Moments. This is the part of the show in which one of our listeners is going to share a little bit of inspiration, which might be something every day or something completely life changing, a decision to walk away from something or a brave new venture you're heading towards. Today, our caller is Lauren. Hello, postcards from midlife. My name is Lauren. I'm 58 years old, married with four adult children. So there I was about seven years ago, sitting sunbathing on holiday, contemplating the year I'd just gone through with my family, which included losing two dear friends to cancer and my husband suffering a heart attack. Thankfully, he survived. And thinking about what I'd achieved throughout my life and what's happening next. And given that I was in the fortunate position that my parents were not ill and having to look after them, three of my kids had left home and my fourth was about to start uni, what to do? So I thought maybe I would do a degree. Well, my family were really encouraging with the idea. Anyway, so I had not studied, let alone written essays, since I left school in 1979. Here I am, six years later, just a few weeks away from handing in my final assignment and hopefully graduating from the Open University with a BSc in psychology. There has been a lot of sweat and tears and imposter syndrome feelings, but with the support of my family and my friends, I've almost made it and I'm now starting to visualise standing at the Barbican in September receiving my degree, seeing my children and husband, all who have degrees, in the audience. And I have to say, I couldn't feel any more proud of myself or empowered as the woman that I have become since I started my degree. So my message to all of you lovely listeners is that 
really is never too late and you've just got to go for it because you never know what lies ahead. Life is certainly not a rehearsal. actually halfway through the series and can I just point out that it's 2-0 in Nostalgia Noodle Guests of the Year 2-0 to me yes. but it's your turn this week to claw back don't make it about maths <laughs> then I'll be able to do it don't okay. add in any I'm not going to say I'm not going to do no, any numbers guess. I'm just yeah. going to let you guess I'm not going to you know bamboozle I'm ready. confusel you right get on with it woman it was the year that four weddings and a funeral <laughs> oh my came out Liz Hurley in that dress do you remember that Versace dress but also the year Pulp Fiction came out with Uma Thurman in that white shirt and that Chanel mm. black nail varnish. Okay, Is, are we more. in the 2000s? I'm not saying anything because oh. I'm not allowed to mention numbers, remember? Um, I'll have to mention it at the end. You'll have to tell me. I will me. do at the end. <laughs> the Channel Tunnel was opened by the Queen and Francois Mitterrand. Blimey. Yeah. I think, I'm, think I might know. No. Uh, Yahoo and Amazon launched and Lidl came to the UK. Oh, Lidl. Yeah. Little, 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 little. Rosemary West was arrested for murder. Right. Horrific. Do you remember all that? Yes, I do. And then this one's really going to help you. Uh, I think PJ and Duncan had a hit with, what was the song? Um, I can't remember because of brain fog, but I listened <laughs> okay. to it yesterday. Okay. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble. rumble that's okay, it, yeah. right. Guess the year, guess the year, guess the year. This is 90s then, isn't it? Mm, it is. I'm saying 1998. Eight. Oh no! Seven, 97 then. No. Nine. No. Five. No. Four. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, I think we're going to have to say you didn't get that. Oh my oh. If I told you that Friends had come out that year and the Vicar of Dibley, would that have helped? Well, I think I've got that numerical dyslexia. Yes, I, I just don't have. have a number. Nothing no. in my brain associates. If you say a number, then yeah, I just... I was quite them. confounded when you said 2000s after that first clue. I was like, what is she on about? Four weddings and a few well, funeral. It's because I'm very creative. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. You just... know what happens when I look at a calendar? I can't even work that out. <laughs> I, there's numbers everywhere. They just all jumble up in my head. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. There's always next time. Okay. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Postcards from Midlife. New episodes are available to listen to every Sunday on your podcast provider, and we would really appreciate it if you can make sure to download your episodes so they count on our listener numbers. And if you could rate and review us too, that would be most marvellous. Um, we would love to hear about your midlife moments, magic milestones. I've mixed it all up. All the M's <laughs> doesn't up matter, there. it's all the M's. And please tell your friends about us. You could join our private Facebook group, which is all about the podcast and the midlife conversation. Come over there for a chat. And you can use it to post any feedback on the topics we discuss. Tell us what you were doing in our nostalgia noodle year, 1994, as well as suggestions <laughs> for other things you'd like to hear talked about or celebrities and experts you'd love to hear interviewed. And please do email us your midlife life moments to hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com or pop a little message on instagram goodbye bye